My name is Abigail, and I will be bringing the message this morning. I am not the pastor here, so you don't have to see me every Sunday if you're visiting. That would make a difference. Pastor Jeff is, so you have to see him every Sunday. Um, It is so nice to be sharing with you all this morning. Pastor Jeff did contact me a couple months ago and asked if I'd be willing to bring um, this Bible story to you. Um, And I eventually said yes, so obviously, since I'm standing here. We are currently on week four of a sermon series titled Untold. Um, It is looking at the untold side of God's compassion and mercy in familiar Bible verses. Pastor Jeff walked us through the stories of Noah, Moses, and Joshua the past three weeks. Um, And since I know we are in vacation season, I thought I would overview, do an overview of each of those, just so you can see where we are. So, the first week we looked, I have to turn it on, there we go. We looked at the story of Noah, and we looked at the untold side of God's righteousness in this story. Pastor Jeff summed it up so well, he said, In doing so, we analyzed how the compassionate heart of God really extended his grace to Noah, making him righteous because of his faith alone. Righteousness is a gift extended to us through the favor of God, not something we can earn. We realized that we live from an identity of self-centered righteousness far too often and not enough from broken places defined by God's righteousness. The second week, Pastor Jeff looked at the story of Moses of Moses and the untold side of God's mercy. Despite his doubts, insecurities, weaknesses, and brokennesses, God continued to extend grace to Moses time and time again. God does the same for the people Moses is leading, despite their grumbling, forgetfulness, and backward-looking sight. We looked at what happened when we allow mercy to permeate our identity and not just the moment. And then last week, I unfortunately missed, but got to listen to the podcast of Joshua. And in Joshua, Pastor Jeff looked at the untold side of God's promise. God used Joshua, a boy, a boy, boy born in slavery, to lean his people into their promised land. He instructs him to wait on the presence of God before moving into action. God is faithful to remove all the obstacles out of their way as he moves after the presence of God. The story of Joshua teaches us how God invites and equips us to live into his promises. And should you like, should you have missed one of those sermons and would like to hear it, or if you want to hear it again, the podcast is available on our website or iTunes. This morning we're going to be looking at the story of Deborah and the untold side of God's compassion in this story. So, Um, We'll be looking at Judges chapter 4. This is a rather short chapter within the Bible, just 24 verses, yet it really packs a punch. There's not only the fact that this is the story of the only female judge in the entire book, she is also one of the few judges that is also a prophet or prophetess, and There is not just the story of her judging, but also a battle and a rather gruesome murder of those holding him captive. 
We'll be looking at most of the story, most of the verses in chapter 4. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation, which will be on the screen as well. Um, I did summarize a few verses just for the sake of time, and I don't want to read 24 verses of standing up here. So, if you don't have a Bible with you, please feel free to use the Pew Bible. It'll be found on pages 236 and 37. After Enid's death, Enid's was the previous judge, the Israelites again did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord turned them over to King Jabin of Hazor, a Canaanite king. The commander of his army was Caesarea, who had lived in Harthish Haganam. Caesarea, who had 900 iron chariots, ruthlessly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. One note on these few verses that I think are very important to note. One is that in the strong, according to Strong's Concordance, the word oppressed here is the same word that is used when God is talking to Moses at the burning bush. So to describe the Israelites who are in slavery in Egypt. So they were being oppressed. They were not just slightly oppressed. They were not just not getting their own way. They are oppressed. They are in slavery here. The other thing is that my study Bible at home pointed out that at this time, the 900 iron chariots would be from the same as saying that there were armored tanks, and the Israelites have none. So keep that in mind as we go to battle. Deborah, the, re- the wife of Lapidoth, was a prophet who was judging Israel at that time. She would sit under the palm of De- Deborah between Raphmah and Beth. Bethel in the hill of Ephraim, and the Israelites would go to her for judgment. One day she sent for Barak, son of Adamam, who lived in Kadesh, the land of Naphtali. I had to look up how to pronounce that one. She said, this is what the Lord God of Israel commands you. Call out 10,000 warriors from the tribe of Naphtali and Zebulun at Mount Tabor, and I will call out Caesarea, commander of Jabin's army, along with his chariots and warriors, to the Kishon River. And there I will give you victory over him. Pretty straightforward. Barak told her, I will go, but only if you go with me. Very well, she replies, I will go with you, but you will receive no honor in this venture, for the Lord's victory will be at the hand of the woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh, and at Kadesh, Barak called together the tribes of Zebulon and Naphtali and 10,000 warriors went up with him, and Deborah also went with him. And then there's more verses describing how they all got there. Then Deborah said to Barak, Get ready. This is the day Lord will give you victory over Caesarea, for the Lord is marching ahead of you. So Barak led his 10,000 warriors down the slopes of Mount Tabor into battle. When Barak attacked, the Lord threw Caesarea in and all of his chariots and warriors into panic. Caesarea leapt down from his chariot and escaped on foot, and he was chased, uh, and they chased all of his army into Hartharsheth Haragam, killing all of Caesarea's warriors, and not a single one would left alive. Oops, sorry.
Jael went out to meet Caesarea and said to him, Come into my tent, sir, come in. Don't be afraid. So he went into her tent, and she covered him with a blanket. Please give me some water, he said. I am thirsty. So she gave him some milk from a leather bag and covered him. Stand at the door of the tent, he told her. If anyone comes in and asks you if there is anyone here, say no. But when Caesarea fell asleep from exhaustion, Jael quietly crept up to him with a hammer and tent peg in her hand. Then she drove the tent peg through his temple and into the ground, and so he died. When Barak came looking for Caesarea, Jael went out to meet him. She said, Come, and I will show you the man you are looking for. So he followed her into the tent and found Caesarea laying there, dead, with a tent peg through his temple. So on that day Israel saw God defeat Jabin, the Canaanite king, and from that time on Israel became stronger and stronger against King Jabin until they finally destroyed him. So, like I said, pretty intense story. There's a battle, there's a female judge, there's a pretty gruesome end. I don't know that I would really want to drive a tent peg through somebody's head, personally. I don't know that I could, um, strength-wise. These are pretty hefty tent pegs. I also think it's important to look how we got from the story of Joshua last week to the story of Deborah because it points a few things out. One is, after Joshua dies, the, Israel, the Israelites did evil in the sight of the Lord. And as I was teaching Sunday school, I teach third through sixth grade down here. When we got to the book of Judges, it was either the story of Deborah or the next judge. One of the boys looks at me and goes, why can't they just do the right thing? He was just sick of hearing every lesson start and then the Israelites did evil in the sight of the Lord. Because week after week, we started the lesson with, and then the Israelites did evil in the sight of the Lord. So God would hand them over to the captive, to be captive or oppressed by a foreign king, generally a Canaanite, since they were still in the land. These Canaanites were in the land because several of the tribes of Israel did not drive out all the Canaanites from their land that they were given when they came with Joshua. So they are still receiving that, still having to deal with that. And God eventually told them that if they weren't going to do what he told them to, these Canaanites would be a thorn in their side. So after three warrior judges, which are just stories of these pretty awesome battles, if you like seeing those types of stories, God sends Deborah. And this story is a little different. It's the first story where God, ha or where we see God having a judge set up a tent and judge the people. So before he set in motion to free them from their oppressors, he puts her in a position to judge and provide guidance for the day-to-day -day personal issues the Israelites were dealing with. Before he frees them from their oppressors, the Canaanites, the whole country, he first focuses on their day-to-day -day issues that they have to deal with. And this is a nice part of the story. You know, a nice tent under a palm tree. There's this nice lady you go to, and you sit down, and you say, my wife and I can't decide what to keep eating for Christmas dinner. Probably not, but you know the general idea, right? Like, this is a nice part of the story. And then suddenly we get to this, like, almost 180, where we're in battle. We're, go, we're sending infantrymen up against tanks. It's a pretty cool underdog story. The Israelites are outnumbered. 
way under-equipped, and for no apparent reason, earthly reason, the enemy army just decides to run. Go into a panic. They should easily defeat them. Um, and generally, the enemy leader would not have been, Caesarea wouldn't have run. He definitely would have gotten down off of his chariot. That doesn't make a lot of sense, right? Why would you get down from this place of safety? But he does. And he runs and he goes to an ally's house, a place where he really assumed he was safe. She gives him milk when he asks for water, which in my research I found out was curdled milk kept in a leather, like basically wineskin. But it was apparently a delicacy. So that's what they tell me at least. She tells them she will stand guard and keep them safe from every from anybody who'd be coming for them. And then after he is sound asleep, so exhausted that he can't even hear somebody coming up behind him, she drives a tent peg through his head. And that's how the story ends. Chapter five is Deborah and Barak singing this very wordy, wonderful praise to God for how he freed them from Israel. And the very last verse in chapter five says, after this, there's 40 years of peace. That's what we know about Deborah. And honestly, I wasn't going to say that this was the untold side of God's compassion. Because it wasn't, I wasn't sure what I was going to say, what we were going to focus on, what the untold side was. Because it doesn't seem like a very compassionate story. Pretty awesome story. Pretty interesting story of how God frees his people. Absolutely. But it's not really a compassionate story. Except that when I was editing my paper, the word compassion kept showing up time and time again. It was the only word that I saw over and over again, God's compassion. So I decided to take that as a nudge from God and go that direction with it. So let's first define the word compassion from Merriam-Webster's dictionary. It said it's a sympathetic consciousness of others' distress with, together with a desire to alleviate it. I think that's true. God, God was sympathetically conscious of the Israelites' distress, together with a desire to alleviate it for them. We see that. He forms a way for them to get out of their distress, their oppressors. But before that, I think, even before he wanted to free them from their oppressors, he wanted to save them from themselves. And that's the first way we can see God's compassion. One, God's compassion in the day-to-day -day lives of the Israelites. God was not just concerned with the oppression that was affecting the entire nation as a whole. He was not concerned with the big story picture. He was concerned with the issue of their daily lives their interfamily issues, their interpersonal issues, down to the very issues they have. And so he sends a judge that will deal with them on a personal level, not just to rescue them from the forces that are oppressing them, but from themselves. Second, or two, we see God's compassion in freeing the Israelites from their oppressors yet again. He then is yet again concerned. This is the fourth time in 
roughly 200 years that this has happened. The fourth time, and God yet again frees the Israelites from the Canaanites. The thing is, too, God, being all-knowing, knows that this isn't going to be the last time. It keeps going over and over and over again until we see Jesus. The entire Old Testament can be summed up with the Israelites being oppressed, being rescued, living in God's law for a certain amount of time, and then it doing evil and worshiping idols again. From this point on, this is how this goes. He wanted the people to walk in the promise he had given them, so he yet again rescues them. And third, we can see compassion in God in the fact that God was willing to use whoever was willing to be used to the limit of their will, willingness to free his people, even if they did not fit the mold of the time. Deborah, we see this with Deborah. She's a female judge. All the other judges are male. She's the only one recorded. And culturally, females were not generally leaders. You see it sometimes, but it wasn't very common. Barak, from different commentaries I looked at, is thought to have some sort of military experience. This was not just him calling up, like, say, David, with David and Goliath. So there was, he was equipped. He knew how to go to battle. Yet God did not force him in his, his compassion to go farther than he was willing to go without Deborah. And Jael, who we know nothing other in the Bible than what is mentioned here, was the wife of an ally, yet God used her to free his people from their oppressors. And there, are, I believe, are four takeaways we can have from these points. I do realize I had three points and four takeaways. I'll get to that. My little eye twitched a little when I was writing this. I don't like that they're not even. One, God deeply cares about the day-to-day -day issues you are facing. There is nothing that affects you that he does not care about. For some of us, and I can slide so easily into this, it is so easy to think that our issues are too small for a God who created the universe to care about. With everything going on in the world, why would God care about what is happening to me? And yet he does. And that could be a sermon all by itself, so I won't get into that one. But if this is you today, I would challenge you to bring whatever you have, any of those types of cares before God today and in the coming week. And if you need somebody, find somebody too. If you need somebody else to assure you that this is the case, find somebody. Here in the lobby, we're all willing to talk. Two, God wants people to be free from oppression. He wanted the Israelites to be free from the, Can the Canaanite oppression, but also oppression that comes from sin which is ultimately where day-to-day -day conflict comes from. If this is you, is this is, if this is what jumped out to you as I was sharing what I had gathered, if you are feeling oppressed from sin in your life, I invite you to go to God and confess the sin that you are dealing with and ask forgiveness. There's no sin too big for God to confess. If you are being oppressed by something else as well, that has nothing to do with sin, I would encourage you to to work with somebody to find freedom. Talk to somebody. 
And three, God wants to use you to bring his kingdom to earth. No matter how much you do or do not fit into the box that others might have labeled and put you in, or more commonly, I think, at least for me, the box I put myself in, God wants to use you in some way to bring his kingdom to earth. Nothing you are doing is too small. For example, if putting yourself in a box. When Pastor Jeff asked me to preach this sermon, I was like, yes, I love to teach. I love teaching Sunday school. I've been, I had been teaching the youth group. I love to teach. But I was going to say no. <laughs> Not because I'm a little nervous standing in front of people, although I am. Not because I was busy. Not because of any other way, reason than the fact that I like black and white. I like to know that something is wrong and something is right. And I personally have a woman or myself speaking in front of adults of mixed genders in a gray area. I'm not positive what the Bible says about this. I don't have a black or a white answer. So I also like to be really safe. And so I was going to say no, because it went in no. But before I said no, I talked to my mother, who is very, very wise, and also sitting here today. And she very gently, because she's awesome like this, just listened to me and encouraged me to just think this through a little bit more because I had more of a knee-jerk reaction. I hadn't stopped to think. And that maybe this was a case of me putting myself in a box that God didn't have for me. And that felt right. So, maybe your box isn't quite as much as speaking in front of people, but we can all put ourselves in boxes. We all label ourselves based on one or two traits. We really can have a tendency to do so. And God's version of what he wants to use you for might be something totally different than what you think it is. Just be open to that today. I would encourage you to take one small step this week to step out in what God is calling you to do for the kingdom. Continue forward in what he is doing. Maybe you have to start. Maybe your small step is talking to somebody else about what you think God has put on your heart. But if this is you today, if this is what resonated with you as I was reading this story, that's great. And that's what I would encourage you to do. Four. Four is a little different. Deborah and all the other judges in the book of Judges ultimately point us to Jesus, the ultimate judge. And therefore, we are no longer in need of earthly judges. And yet, time and time again, we find ourselves judging each other based on things that really don't even matter. The clothing we wear, where we live, what car we drive. And I 
really felt as I was preparing the sermon, I was to encourage you to just take a moment this week and just focus on your thoughts. As I am interacting with the public, the people around me, whether I know them well or not, what type of judgments am I making on them without even knowing? So many times, the way we come off and the way we judge people is what is really hindering us bringing Jesus to the community. I know that as I was working on the sermon the past two weeks, I could tell you story after story of times I was walking by somebody, and God was like, you just judged them. You just judged them. You just judged them. Time after time. And honestly, I don't get out that much. I go to work. I go for a run. I go home and do things. I am not an extremely social person. I hang out with friends a time or two during the week. I'm not out walking around giant groups of people day after day. I can assure you of that. I would not be standing here if I did. I would be sleeping. <laughs> so, I would encourage you to, as we go throughout our day, let's work on this. This is something I think we all can work on, no matter how old we are, how long we've been dealing with this. Let us work together to learn how to live a little bit more in love like Jesus did. Thank you very much.